Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. When you don't know, you fall back on what you do know. And in this context, when you don't know why it is that it seems that the wicked and the evil seemingly prosper, fall back on what you do know. And what do you know? You do know that God is just and righteous and fair. His judgments are just. His judgments are fair. His judgments are righteous. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Barag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Job. This may be a hard thing for us to grasp, but the reality is we will see bad people succeed. Pastor J.D. tells us that when we see this, it's important that we not question God's integrity. We must remember that God is always good. Though evil may prosper here on earth, someday these folks will have to answer to God for the things they've done. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now here's Pastor J.D. in Job chapter 24 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. All right, I have a question I want to start uh, off with. This is for those of you who were uh, here last week and for those that watched it online. Here's the question. Did you do your homework? Show of hands, how many did your homework? Oh, wow. I'm impressed and blessed. Why did it take take you so long already to raise your hand? Did you have to think about it? (laughs) <laughs> what was the homework? The home, those of you who weren't here, you're excused. Okay. So, but here was the homework. Uh, read Psalm 73, the 73rd Psalm. It is going to be so germane to our understanding tonight. And, uh, as we'll see here momentarily. Now, because we read through uh, chapter 24, we're not going to do that again tonight. In the interest of time, I'll just simply summarize the chapter and then we'll uh, pick it up from there. So in chapter 24, Job basically laments about how it seems that the wicked prosper with impunity. And he begins by describing them as doing these unthinkable things like removing landmarks. I mean, just arbitrarily moving boundaries, especially boundaries of properties owned by widows, taking advantage of them. He describes them as violently seizing flocks, taking widows' belongings as a pledge, pushing the needy off the road. Kind of sounds like modern-day road rage. I don't know what that is. And forcing the poor to hide in fear. And among other things that the wicked do. And he's basically saying in chapter 24 that it's like they're getting away with murder. They're doing all of these things and God seems to be silent. And and here Job is seeing God as not bringing about a swift and just judgment. God, why don't you do something about what they're doing? 
Because you have to understand that heretofore, Job's so-called friends have accused him of everything under the sun. Chiefly, that he was guilty of unconfessed sin. That he had this secret sin in his life. And would he but confess it, then God would end all of this unthinkable suffering. All he has to do is repent and confess and forsake his sin. And everything that is happening to him would stop in an instant. They're accusing him of being a hypocrite. They're accusing him of being wicked. So Job, in his attempt of defending himself in his righteousness and innocence, not sinlessness, his righteousness, his innocence, his blamelessness, pardon me, he's establishing his case, he's arguing his case, that he is righteous, that there is no sin that remains unconfessed in his life. There is no secret sin. In fact, uh, earlier on, he even says as much, and it makes sense, because he's telling them, listen, <laughs> I mean, look at me, you can't, because I'm so hideous with boils covering me from uh, my the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. But just look at me and all of my suffering. All 10 of my children are gone, dead. All of my wealth, of which it was so vast, all gone. Don't you think, I mean, think about this. Don't you think that if I had sin in my life that I needed to confess, that I would have confessed by now? I mean, I, I would have, listen, I would have confessed on day one, really hour one. And all, all that Job has gone through, if he's harboring secret sin, wouldn't it stand to reason that he would have confessed it by now? So he is arguing his case about his innocence, but he's taking it a step further in response. And he's telling them, listen, uh, <laughs> your theology is all messed up. Because your theology is this, the wicked are punished and the righteous are blessed. And that's your theology. And this is really jamming your gears. Because you're looking at how my life is not blessed, how God is punishing me, and the only, only conclusion through the lens of your faulty theology that you can come to is that I must be wicked. And they've accused him of being wicked. And so in arguing his case, in, in making his defense, he's saying, you're wrong because just look at how the wicked seem to prosper. And there is no judgment upon them. It seems that the wicked do just fine. And they get away with evil. So your, your, your whole case has just been dismantled virtually based on that one simple fact. Now, this chapter poses a, a, a difficulty for many in the sense that it brings into question the matter of fairness and equity and justice. Now, what do we know to be true? And again, I, I'm going to say it again because it is so uh, profoundly true. When you don't know, you fall back on what you do know. And 
in this context, when you don't know why it is that it seems that the wicked and the evil seemingly prosper, fall back on what you do know. And what do you know? You do know that God is just and righteous and fair. His judgments are just. His judgments are fair. His judgments are righteous. That's what you do know. When nothing makes sense, none of this makes sense. And that's why I wanted for us to reacquaint ourselves with Psalm 73, because it single-handedly resolves this difficulty of how it seems that the wicked prosper and the righteous seem to suffer. If you'll indulge me, I want to read Psalm 73. There's 28 verses. And uh, if you want, I would, in fact, encourage you to, if you're not already there, turn there, Psalm 73. This is a Psalm of Asaph. And he says, verse 1, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But, verse 2, as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He's looking around him, and he's looking at these unrighteous, wicked people who want nothing to do with God, and they seem to be doing just fine, thank you very much. And he goes on to describe how, you know, they seem to have this great trouble-free life. Verse 4, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous heart comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice, with arrogance. They threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? Ooh, 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 where's the lightning bolt? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Every, everything they touch turns to gold. Surely, listen to verse 13. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. It, you know, as I was reading this again, in anticipation of talking about it tonight, it dawned on me that Job could have written this, especially verse 13. You gotta know that Job is feeling like his clean hands of innocence are of no consequence. I mean, look at the suffering that he's in. Look at the pain and the agony that he's in. How about I refresh your memory, 
as if you needed for your memory to be refreshed. Here's his situation right now. He's sitting there in a rubbish heap on a pile of ashes, which in that day, that's what they would do with the rubbish. They would burn it and it would just become an ash heap. And he's sitting there in this ash heap, basically in a dump with all of the horrific smells that come packaged with it. And he's covered from head to toe. The only place that he doesn't have boils, and we talked about this last week, and we're going to talk about it a little bit tonight. Uh, the only place he doesn't have boils is in his mouth. And that's where we get that, that idiom, uh, I, I, w- I was saved by the skin of my teeth. What Job was saying was, the only thing that was saved, that was spared, was the skin of my teeth. What, Satan certainly had permission to, to mess with his mouth and his teeth and his tongue. Why wouldn't he? Because he spared that so that Job could curse God. He had to keep that intact in order for Job to curse God, because that was the whole thing that he accused God of concerning Job. Hey, the only reason he worships you is because you bless him. Let me mess with him. Let me take all of his wealth from him. Let me take the life of all of his children from him, all ten of them, seven sons, three daughters. He'll curse you to your face. And then when Satan was allowed to do that and Job doesn't curse him, then he says, oh yeah, well, skin for skin. You let me touch his health. You let me start messing with him physiologically and he'll curse you to your face. God says, okay. And so he takes it to the limit of what God has given him permission to do. And he afflicts him with unthinkable affliction. And he's sitting there on this ash heap. Picture the scene, if you can imagine it. And it's hard to imagine. He's scraping these pus-filled boils. You'll forgive the graphic nature of the description here. But I think it's important to understand it in all of its intensity. He's scraping them with a sharp object in utter pain and agony. Forget the physical pain. Forget the physical agony. Can you even begin to imagine the emotional and the psychological turmoil and terror he's in? And he even says as much. He's, I, I am terrorized. This is, this is torture. This is beyond torture. And I'm innocent. What gives? How, how is this even possible? And then, could you, here, here goes somebody, they, they drive by in their brand new Mercedes Benz. And you're sitting there, broken down on the side of the road, <laughs> in your Yugo. Probably don't even remember what a Yugo is. <laughs> I need to probably update that one. <laughs> you're sitting there with this, you know, bus up car. And, uh, you're just, you're thinking, you're just, and you know, they got, they got a bu- bumper sticker that blasphemes God. And, and here's your bumper sticker, barely hanging on because your bumper's barely hanging on. And it says, you know, in case of rapture, uh, <laughs> this car will be <laughs> unoccupied. And then they drive by in their purring, you know, Mercedes Benz and, and, uh, verse 13. <laughs> really? That's a very loose paraphrase of verse 13, but that's basically what he's saying. 
I've washed my hands in innocence in vain. I've kept my heart pure unnecessarily. That's what he's saying. All day long I've been afflicted. Job could have written that. And every morning brings new punishments. Job could have written that and did. (laughs) If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. And then he says this, verse 16, When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Think about that. Just the fact that you can't wrap your mind around what's happening, and it makes no sense at all, and it doesn't reconcile, that adds insult to injury, does it not? This is utter mental anguish and turmoil. And then verse 17, and this is key. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. Stop right there. Ah. (laughs) First of all, that's the best place to be, isn't it? In the sanctuary of God, in the presence of God. That's where much needed perspective comes. I'll take it a step further and say that's only when that much needed perspective comes. That's where now all of a sudden you're looking at the situation as hard to understand and painful as it is. You're looking at it through the lens of your God instead of looking at your God through the lens of your difficult circumstances. Because see, here's what happens, and I know you've heard this in a variety of forms. When you look at God through your trial, your God looks small and your trial gets big. And conversely, when you look at your trial through your God, your God gets big and that trial gets small. And sometimes we just need that sanctified paradigm shift, if I can say it that way. And in order to have that and do that, you and I must enter the sanctuary of God. We must enter the Word of God to get God's Word on the matter. And that's what Asaph does. And by the way, that's what Job's going to do and have happen because God's going to have the final word too in the end. Listen to what he says. Until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Ah, surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. By the way, uh, does that sound a little bit like what Job said? Uh, For I know, not I hope, not I think, I know that my Redeemer lives. 
Though my heart and my flesh may fail, in the end, Asaph is saying, in the end, I see their end. And I couldn't see their end until I entered the sanctuary of God. In other words, in the end, I see how this ends. And listen, if I had my choice, when this is all said and done, to go through the sufferings of this life, which Paul said are not worthy to be compared with the glory that awaits in the end, when it's all said and done, In the end, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Don't forget. It is so important to remember that Job is resolute when he says, when he declares with all of his heart, though he slay me, yet will I praise or trust him. Though he slay me, no matter what he does to me, I'm going to trust him. This doesn't make sense. I'm going to trust him. This doesn't seem fair. I'm going to trust him. Yeah, but the the wicked are prospering and the righteous suffer. Yeah, but I'm going to trust him. Though he slay me, I'm going to trust him because I know how it ends. I know their end and I know my end. For I know that my Redeemer lives and in the end he will be standing on the earth. Though my heart and my flesh will fail. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. He says, Job challenges all men to contradict what he affirms, that the righteous may be greater sufferers, and the wicked may for a while prosper, but that God will, in the end, overthrow the ungodly and establish the righteous. In the end. Not now. Not now. God, why don't you bring about swift justice now? Oh, no, I will. Why not now? No, no. You'll see. In the end, you'll see their end. And oh, by the way, you'll see your end too. And oh, by the way, your end way more better than their end. In the end. We're so glad you tuned in to Pastor J.D.'s teaching in the book of Job. There's much more to learn, but sadly, that's all the time we have for on today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. In the meantime, you can find more messages from Pastor J.D. by visiting our website at inspiritandtruthradio.com. Subscribe to our podcast while you're there and receive new messages as soon as they're made available. Did you know you can take In Spirit and Truth on the go by downloading our mobile app? In our fast-paced world, it's easy to let the time we'd spend in the Bible slip into the back of the line of things to get done in a day. When you download our mobile app, however, you'll have verse-by-verse studies in the Bible available right at your fingertips, ready to listen to whenever and wherever you go. 
You'll find a link to the app at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Keep up to date with the Midi's Prophecy Updates with our mobile app as well. Each Friday and Saturday, Pastor J.D. shares current world events and how they relate to the end-time prophecies found in the Bible. The information provided is intended to stir in us an urgency to share the good news of Jesus before He returns to judge the world. There's so much to learn each week, and Pastor J.D. does a great job of getting us the information we need. Find out more on our YouTube channel at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Thanks for joining us today, and be sure to tune in next time to keep studying through Job on In Spirit and Truth. Keeping me right with the old way.